Let's go to the Lord in a time of prayer, asking the Spirit to open our hearts. I just want you to think for a second what we are doing in worship. The living God's meeting with us. He's revealing himself to us. Leviticus 26 talks about him joining and walking amongst us. So you are about to enter into one of the most mystical experiences you ever can. The Lord himself is about to encounter you in and through his word. It's a a dangerous time because who knows what the Lord will actually do as he speaks through his word. Father, we surrender to you. And I say those words, and I don't say them lightly, because I have no idea what that actually means for each one of us. I pray that you will comfort, convict, challenge, expose, teach, draw us closer and closer to you. Illumine our hearts. May this not simply be information, and as a matter of fact, Part of me says, can we repent of our Presbyterianism, where we simply go, hmm, good point, and instead recognize that the living God has spoken to us through his word. You've revealed yourself to us. You've given us your word. May we approach it humbly, trembling in our hearts, maybe even shaking in our knees that you are speaking to us. And so, Holy Spirit, do your work amongst us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I will invite you to stand one more time for the reading of God's Word. We said that for the Advent season, Isaiah would be our guide. We're looking at several different prophecies of the coming King through the prophet Isaiah. And this morning, we are on Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. Friends, hear the Word of the Lord. Isaiah writes... There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor. And decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf, and the lion, and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse who shall stand as a signal for the peoples. Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. You know, I'm the oldest of three boys, so my poor mother. She would always say, if you were to ask her, how many children do you you have? She'd say four. 
the three of them and my husband, the four of them, with all the rough housing and stuff like that. But I don't speak a whole lot about my middle brother. See, I'm the oldest, and the youngest, DJ, he's eight years younger than me. He lives here in Florida, St. Augustine. He's kind of being the caregiver for mom and dad these days. And Dave is the middle one, three years younger than me. Birthday's on Christmas Eve, so that always made Christmases real interesting in terms of celebrating his birth and then Jesus' birth, kind of, you know, good company, I guess, and working that way. But Dave lives in Philadelphia, and he works as a contractor. As a matter of fact, I would call Dave an entrepreneur's entrepreneur. Okay, what he does is he builds houses for upscale clients in the Philadelphia area in terms, and he does it kind of start to finish. As a matter of fact, I remember one time talking with Tim McClure about the AutoCAD software in terms of using that, and then I went to Dave and I said, I was on the phone with Dave and I said, Dave, do you use this software? And Dave's like, no, oh no. I wanna write everything from hand. I do all my, Dave was always perfectionistic. In fact, DJ and I, when we would talk, we would say, and we weren't being self-deprecating, but we would say, okay, we're kind of here in terms of talent and intelligence. We're okay, you know, average, whatever. Dave's through the roof in terms of brilliance and talent out of the three of us. And he is so particular. Remember once he got into, you remember years and years, this is probably 20, 25 years ago when bonsai trees were the thing? Well, Dave had a collection of bonsai trees, and he would trim them to absolute precision and perfection. And here's what I learned about entrepreneurs. Every entrepreneur has a blueprint and a vision for their work. They have this ideal picture in their mind of what it ought to look like. Now, did you recognize that Jesus is an entrepreneur? That Jesus has a precise blueprint for what it is that is our ultimate hope. And do you know, and this is the sermon title, folks. Were you paying attention when you pulled in this morning? What is it we hope for? Let me give you the answer. The kingdom of God. The rule and the reign of God. What we pray every Lord's Day in the Lord's Prayer. And I want you to feel this in your bones. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is Jesus' blueprint and that is our hope. That's what we're looking forward to, anticipating, longing, and aching for the kingdom of God. And Advent is a time, and you need to recognize Advent is different than Christmas. That Advent is a time of leaning into the darkness, recognizing that until the kingdom of God comes in its fullness, its completion, that there is still a darkness that permeates all things. That we live in an Advent season anticipating the time when the kingdom of God will come in its fullness. It's why later in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told his disciples, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you as well. Notice what he didn't say? He didn't say, seek first your theology, that you're right in every jot and tittle. He didn't say, seek first, 
perfect doctrine. He said, seek first the rule and the reign of God, the kingdom of God. Jesus is building his kingdom, which, by the way, let me let my OCD come out a little bit more this morning because I'm precise theologically as well. Notice what I said, Jesus is building his kingdom. Oftentimes I'll hear people talk about, okay, that what's our goal, what's our vision, what's our, and they'll say to build the kingdom of God. In my mind I'm going, I hope I'm not building the kingdom of God. You don't want me to do that. I mean, if I'm doing it, I'm going to make a mess of it. And let me tell you something, so are you. What we want is Jesus to build his kingdom. And guess what? Jesus is so gracious, so generous, so over the top in his heart being filled with love and grace and mercy that he uses us to implement what he is the architect and the founder and the builder of. Unless the Lord builds his house, the laborers are doing what? Wasting their time, laboring in vain. So Jesus is building his kingdom, which is a whole new world, the renewal of all things. And do you want to know what Isaiah 11 gives us a picture of? It opens the door and says, this is what the kingdom of God will look like. This is what the renewal of all things looks like. This is Jesus' blueprint. And it's a blueprint of two things. It is a blueprint of a cosmic king who is building a comprehensive kingdom. And friends, that's what we hope for. We hope for a cosmic king who is building his comprehensive kingdom. Okay, look with me at verses 1 through 5, and they speak of the cosmic king. It says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and his faithfulness the belt of his loins." Friends, our hope, our future is in this person. The content of our hope is a person, and we ought to all breathe deeply and go, thank the Lord, because guess what? We can't do it ourselves. Life is hard. Life is difficult. And we can't traverse life on our own. We don't have what it takes. We don't have what it takes. We need a king. We need a cosmic king. Isaiah is painting a picture of the royal Messiah, the hope of a king. And in the original context, what Isaiah is doing is he's giving his audience hope in dark times. For the dark times that the recipients of Isaiah's prophecy were going through were largely they were facing political threats at the hands of an enemy nation. That nation was called Assyria. And what he's doing is he's giving them assurance during these dark times. And can I tell you something? That assurance speaks to us even today. We live in a perpetual advent. Yes, Jesus' first advent has come. His second advent hasn't, which is why we pray thy kingdom come. Where are we? Smack dab in the middle of there somewhere in a perpetual advent. 
And as Fleming Rutledge writes, she says, Advent is designed to show that the meaning of Christmas, listen to these words, the meaning of Christmas is diminished to the vanishing point if we are not willing to take a fearless inventory of the darkness. That is scary but true. If we don't take a fearless inventory of the darkness, and see, here's our temptation and our tendency to live in denial. Hey, I'm going to the next Christmas party, and I'm doing this, and I'm going shopping, and Christmas morning for my kids and my grandkids is going to be absolutely perfect. They're going to come running down the steps, and they're going to love it, and the dog's going to go nuts, and we're going to all eat together, and everybody's going to get along. Which family are you a part of, by the way? Because I want to come over to your house. Okay? In that picture, there was no inventory of the darkness. Does everybody in your family get along perfect? Is there no sickness in your family? Is every gift that is open embraced and appreciated, and you just get warm thank yous from your kids and grandkids all over the place? Is that what it looks like? Doesn't look like that in my house. Excuse me, I still live in my house. Darkness is there. Fleming Rutledge is right. Christmas is diminished to the vanishing point if we're not willing to take a fearless inventory of the darkness. But in the midst of the darkness, we hear Isaiah saying, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall bear fruit. Alec Motier commenting on this in his commentary says, this reference to Jesse indicates that the shoot is not just any old king or another king in David's line, but rather this is another David. This is a greater David. He's building up the promise, building up the anticipation, building up the hope. Motier says to call the expected king the root of Jesse means that Jesse sprang from him. He is the root support and the origin of the messianic family in which he would be born. Now look with me at verse 2 and what verse 2 says. It says that the spirit rests on this king. We need to recognize that the Holy Spirit is the operative power of the kingdom. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. When Mary inquired to the angel Gabriel about her pregnancy. Now, I mean, just imagine what that had to have been like. You recognize Mary was not 24, 25 years old, finishing college on her way to get her master's degree, you know, thinking about this. She was probably 14, 15 years old, young girl. Can you imagine what she was feeling when the angel Gabriel comes to her and says, oh, by the way, you're with child. And the conversation, if I, this is the way I picture it at least, kind of goes something like, um, excuse me, Mr. Gabriel, uh, I attended that class in high school, and that class says something's necessary, and did you not realize I haven't done that? I'm a virgin. And so what is going on? And what does Gabriel respond? He says, Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Do you recognize what this is? This is the beginning of the fulfillment of, and the Spirit of the Lord will endow him, shall rest upon him, shall anoint him, shall equip him. Because the Holy Spirit is the operative force 
of the domain of the age to come. And so hope is being built up. This person will be endowed with the Spirit of the Lord. Isaiah is depicting this person, this shoot, from lowly beginnings as being spirit-endowed. And look at how he describes his work. First he says, it'll be the spirit of wisdom and of understanding. Motir says that wisdom is the more general characteristic, while understanding is the power and ability to see right through to the heart of issues. He writes, the former is the reservoir, the latter, the judiciously directed outflow. The spirit that's upon that will be upon Jesus is the spirit of wisdom and of understanding. Next, he's the spirit of counsel and might. And these words describe strategy and military strength, the ability to devise a right course of action. Again, the kingdom is built not on human creativity, not on human ingenuity, not on human strength. The kingdom is being built on the strategy, strength, power, and might of the spirit that rested upon Jesus. Application. How much trouble do we get into when we depend on our own strength? How much trouble do we get into when we try, I know I said earlier we don't build the kingdom, but we like to think we do, don't we? How much trouble do we get into when we try to build the kingdom as if we could, by our own ingenuity, our own creativity, our own strength, our own common sense? It makes me think, one of the things I absolutely love about Spruce Creek, I think this is one of our strengths, is I do think we're a praying church. Prayer chains go out all the time. I love looking at the, you know, Joel will send out the email, prayer warriors, and I'm like, they're rising up. This is good stuff right here. But I think we have to be careful of something. I think we have to be careful that all the focus of our prayer is on the requests. And I think, and I don't want us to diminish that. This is a giant both and, not an either or. We are still to pray for all those things. But do we spend just as much time, energy, and vitality in prayer, praying that the Spirit will lead the strategy of the church. How we go about putting flesh and blood and flesh and bones on what we're doing in trying to reach people, root them in Christ, renew them in Christ, release them out to serve Christ. Or do we go into session meetings and diaconate meetings and leadership meetings and children's team and women's ministry team? And we have our plan, and yes, we pray at the beginning, but how much do we pray unless the Lord builds the house? We would, do you see how beautiful it is outside? Maybe we should play golf. Unless the Lord builds the house, are we crying out, Lord, you need to lead every step? I don't have what it takes to lead this. It is the spirit of counsel. And my, he has the strategy, we don't. How much are we crying out for the Holy Spirit to govern and direct and lead our ministry? And then the final pair of characteristics is the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And again, I love how Motier puts it when he says, knowledge is truth grasped and applied to life. I loved what Rick said earlier, yes, R.C. Sproul and John Frame are not the point. I agree with that, but I'm afraid I still have to quote John Frame this morning. And John Frame is one of the heroes of my faith. John Frame talked about all the time, knowledge is application. 
Because of the covenantal lordship of God, there is no knowledge without application. Knowledge is truth grasped and lived out. If you're not living it out, you don't know it. Biblical knowledge implies and involves covenantal relationship. And so the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And then verse 3, his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Notice what it says next. He's not going to judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. In other words, he's endowed with the spirit being led and governed by the spirit. And his norm will be righteous. With righteousness, he shall judge the poor, decide with equity for the meek of the earth. I'm reminded of Jesus saying in the Gospel of John, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Righteousness and faithfulness will always be his norm. And then he says, He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. How effective! is the word of God. One writer says the power and divine efficacy of his word is the power to affect change, to impose the divine will and order on things. Later on, Isaiah will say in chapter 55, the word does not return void, but will always accomplish what God sets out for it, what God purposes for it. The word and the spirit transform us. We are changed by the word and the spirit. Which makes me think, do we approach the word simply for information, simply for knowledge, simply for theology, or do we humbly, with fear and trembling, approach the word, knowing that the spirit changes us, forms us, shapes us, molds us through his word and spirit? How much expectation do you come in each and every Lord's day? Again, maybe we have to repent of our Presbyterianism that kind of go, hmm, interesting point. Instead of recognizing that the living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, word of God, is piercing us right now to shape and form us into the image of Jesus Christ. So what is your response to this cosmic king? What is your response to this cosmic king? This cosmic king who's going to bring a whole new world, a comprehensive kingdom. Look with me at verse, verses 6 through 9. And I want to ask, what does this new world look like? Look at this picture, this return to Eden, so to speak. It says, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Do you not get caught up in that picture of this return to Eden, this Edenic element that is in this picture? You know, what was it, a month ago or so ago, we had the children's ministry team did a beautiful job of putting on the fall festival. I thought about going to Daniela and her team and saying, you know, you're thinking of having a petting zoo. 
I have the animals picked out that I want to come in that petting zoo. Let's get some wolves and lambs. I want to see leopards in there lying down with young guys. Could you imagine the picture that that would be? And bring me your youngest child. They're going to lead them. And give me one of the other weaned toddlers. Cobra. Yeah. Is it any wonder Advent is for leaning into the darkness? This has been this picture of Eden when Jesus was born, lived, died, was raised again and ascended into glory, has been inaugurated, it has begun, but it is not fully complete. And we live in Advent, and this picture of the renewal and reconciliation of all things is to permeate our lives. See, let me ask you the question, are you on the same page with Jesus? And do you understand what page Jesus is on? This is his AutoCAD, by the way. This is his blueprint. This is his drawing. Take a look with it with me. Verse 6, you have the reconciliation of old hostilities, the putting away of old fears, predators, the wolf, the leopard, the lion, and what they normally prey upon, the lamb, the young goat, the calf, are reconciled. Again, Motier says, and he's speaking about this line, a little child shall lead them. He says, so secure is this peace that a youngster can exercise the dominion originally given to humanity. Genesis 1 says we were to have dominion over the earth. Motier says the peace of the, of the kingdom is so guaranteed that a little child will lead them. In verse 7, you have this change of nature within the beasts themselves. The cow and the bear eating the same food as the lion and the ox. Again, he writes, there's also a change in the very order of things itself. The herbivoral nature of all the creatures points to a restored Eden. Where finally in verse 8, you finally have the curse completely removed as the enmity between the woman's seed and the serpent is gone. And how does all this, what's the summary explanation of all of this? Verse 9 says, the coming Eden, the comprehensive kingdom, the whole new world under the kingship of the cosmic king will be a whole Mount Zion, will be a holy hill in which peace and holiness and communion with the Lord will fill all and all. This, friends, is the comprehensive kingdom promised by the cosmic king. This is our hope. This is also Jesus, the entrepreneur's blueprint. This is his vision. So when Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, this is what he has in mind. Not yet completed, but he's in the process of implementing it. And you know how he implements it? He implements it through his followers, the church. The church is his power center for working out the reconciliation and renewal of all things, and he's basically commanding us to join him with the freedom. He's the one building it. He's the architect. He's doing it. Our call is to join him in the renewal of all things. Friends, is it your heart to seek first the kingdom of God, or are we seeking other things? That might be good things, but they're lesser things. They're not meant to be the thing. 
Everything we do is to be moving towards the thing. Do I want us to study theology? Yes. I want us to study hard. Do I want us to absolutely learn and grow, have fellowship, have community, do all those? But all of those things have to be means to the end of being used by God in His work in the renewal of all things. Gospel always leads to community, which always leads to God's building His kingdom. God is doing that, and He's doing the work through us. He is bringing this kind... So, are you committed to this kind of reconciliation living? To these values, these priorities? Are we seeking first this whole new world that Jesus is bringing? We're either getting in on the party... Or sitting on the sidelines. I don't know about you. I've never seen a party I don't like. So let's get in on this party together. Father, thank you so much that... How do I word this? We're so rebellious we can't do life at all. And what did you do? You sent your son who did life perfectly. The cosmic king who came to bring in a comprehensive kingdom. First, Father, I pray that our hearts would be, that you would reorder our desires, that we would be seeking first your kingdom, desiring and aching and longing for your kingdom above all things, that the heart of our prayer and our heartbeat and our life would be, come, Lord Jesus, Maranatha. Lord, move in our midst. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.